I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Cool. Thanks, Sharon. Morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? All right. Happy Father's Day. Thought I'd start with a Father's Day kind of story about my dad, who is sitting in the sound desk right now. So apologies, Dad. Um, I have lots of fond memories of growing up uh, with Dad at home. And one of them is a special memory, I think, his family movie nights uh, growing up. You know, we'd finally pick a movie and eventually get everyone into the lounge at the same time. You know, Dad, hurry up. We're starting. And he comes in and would have our treats at the ready, lights dimmed, the movie starts. And at this point, Dad decides to become the pedantic tech wizard. You know, uh, like he's going through the menus, um, changing the aspect ratio, making sure it looks just right, uh, checking all the different sound settings to make sure it's just so. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You know, he's accidentally skipping through the scenes and we're just sitting there groaning. Um, Since moving out a couple of years ago, I've had the bizarre realization uh, that I'm much more like my dad uh, than I ever realized. Uh, The other night I caught myself, we were sitting down to a movie at the end of a long day, uh, and I noticed that the picture looked a bit strange. Uh, So I started going through the different aspect ratios to make sure it looked okay. Uh, And on the way through the menus, I accidentally got the subtitles going, so I had to flick through that for like five minutes to get it off. And Aisha's just sitting there like, what are you doing? Uh, And I realized that I too am the pedantic tech wizard. Like father, like son. It does happen in the most unexpected ways. Uh, I wonder how your dad has influenced the person you are today. Uh, For some of us, we would have lots of fond memories like that. Uh, For others, it's a more painful question. Uh, But it's true, isn't it? Dads shape who we are uh, in all sorts of ways. Uh, For better or worse, we will always belong to our fathers in one way or another. And I will say for the record that I'm glad uh, that I've been shaped by my dad. Uh, A few troublesome quirks, but that's okay. Um, According to Jesus in this passage, uh, there is a deeper belonging that shapes us even more. Uh, A deeper spiritual fatherhood that shapes reality for us, whether we acknowledge it or not. Uh, On the surface, this is a really nice Father's Day passage because it talks about sons and fathers and children a lot. Uh, But you would have picked up Uh, It's also super confronting. Uh, There is wonderful news for us, I'll say that up front, wonderful news from Jesus for all of us on Father's Day, whatever your pedigree or background. Um, But before we can really understand that, uh, we're going to have to ask some really hard questions of ourselves. Uh, Jesus is challenging us to ask those tough questions as we listen in on this fiery conversation with his opponents. Uh, Firstly, who are you really? These people in John 8 seem pretty sure about that, but Jesus has other ideas. Secondly, who is Jesus really? What does like father, like son mean for Jesus? And finally, how will we respond? Uh, So there are three headings. Uh, They're in your outline if you want to follow along and take notes. Uh, Let me set the scene though. We're at the Festival of the Tabernacles, been there since chapter 7. Uh, It's a vibrant time of year when people from all over flock to the temple at Jerusalem to celebrate. And by this point in John's gospel, Jesus is starting to become pretty well known. Uh, He arrives at this festival on the down low uh, in chapter 7, but he's soon preaching to the crowds. 
And as the festival unfolds, Jesus starts applying various aspects of it to himself. Uh, So there was like a ceremony of water, and Jesus preaches, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Uh, It causes a bit of a stir, almost gets him arrested. Uh, And now in chapter 8, where we've picked up this morning, uh, probably as a ceremony of lighting candles was taking place, Jesus speaks again in verse 12, I am the light of the world. And again, it divides the crowd. Some people are really against this idea. But John tells us in verse 30 that many people have believed in Jesus. But by the end of the chapter, these people are ready to kill him. So what happens? Let's read again from verse 31. Keep your Bibles open. We're on page 1073, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, you've heard my amazing words. You want in on what I'm offering. Just stay with me, says Jesus, and then you'll be free. What he's offering is so good, and yet people react against him. Because what he offers confronts them with the question, who are you really? Have a look at verse 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be free? Jesus is confronting them about their status. Are you free? Are you sons? Or are you slaves? Tragically, they think they're already free. Not because of Jesus, but because of their pedigree. They're like spoiled children who have had their way for so long that they just kind of feel entitled to it and can't handle anyone challenging them. We're the children of Abraham, the great man God made those great promises to all those centuries ago. We are his. We're born into spiritual freedom. It's our right. And we see down in verse 41 that for them, this is evidence enough that they are children of God himself. But all this confidence in their pedigree has blinded them to the reality. Who are you really? Jesus keeps peeling back the layers, getting behind their status, and putting his finger on their secrets. Verse 34, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. See, Jesus sees through all the masks of pedigree and piousness, Yes, looking at the outside, they belong to Abraham's family line. They're there at the temple. Uh, But internally, maybe secretly, they're still held captive by the same problem that we all face, sin. You know, you're acting like you have it all together, free as birds. But the truth is, you sin, says Jesus, and you can't stop. You're living a double life. You say you're sons of God, but when the son of God himself turns up, You want to kill him. According to Jesus, this is evidence of their true sonship. Who do they belong to, really? Biologically, it's Abraham. But spiritually, who is shaping them? Have a look with me at verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
you know, this is the ultimate Star Wars twist. Luke, I am your father. You know, and their reaction is pretty similar, really. A violent, no way, it's impossible. We're the good guys. And yet there's that dreadful ring of truth. It explains so much. Could it be true? These guys were well behaved. They didn't carry around pitchforks or red lightsabers. Uh, They were churchgoers, not just casual churchgoers either. Uh, They were the ones who were really dedicated and went the extra mile going all the way to Jerusalem, to the temple for the big occasion. But what would it look like uh, if this were true? What kind of father is the devil really? Again from verse 44, he's a manipulator. He lies with murderous intent. And he's been that way from the very beginning. I think back to that famous scene right at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. What does the devil do there? He lies, subtly, of course. Adam and Eve, you won't die if you eat the fruit, like God said. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. You know, he's playing to their desire to be their own gods. He makes it sound like total freedom. You won't die, you'll be like God. You deserve it. And what happens? They eat the fruit, their eyes are opened, and they do become like God. Like the devil said, but they do die. Because in obeying the devil, Adam and Eve disown God, their true father. They think they're getting liberated, but the result is slavery. Separated from the father who just wants what's best for them. This is what the devil wants. You know, it's not about fire and pitchforks. Uh, It's about how we treat God. Uh, And these fickle believers, they might not see it yet, but they've been listening to lies. Uh, We all do it. It's quite every day, isn't it? I doubt many of us have ever consciously thought, I'd really like the devil to be my father. These guys certainly didn't. But we all buy into his lies. And as with all good lies, uh, there's always a grain of truth to it. Uh, You know, these guys are the descendants of Abraham. And yet by buying the lie that this fact alone somehow entitles them to a high status with God, they've lost the truth. They're so close yet so far away. They've put their confidence in their family tree and their religious activities. And in doing so, they slam the door in the face of God their father who just wants them to trust him. And here they are at the temple, saying they're the children of God as if everything's fine. The sad irony is the Son of God is standing right in front of them, and they can't even recognize him. They're estranged children, and they don't even realize it. Who are you really? That's a relevant question. Most of us today probably aren't biological descendants of Abraham, not from the nation of Israel. Uh, But how does our national anthem go again? Australians all let us rejoice, for we are young and free. Yeah. You know, with the great life uh, that we have here in Australia, um, we also live with a kind of status that can make us feel like we are free already. Uh, You know, when you look around Brighton Beach, uh, do you see people living in slavery? Uh, Jesus does. Growing up young and free, uh, it's definitely not a bad thing. So many good things about it. Uh, for us and our children, but the question is, uh, where do you put your confidence? Many of us have grown up uh, in Christian families or with some kind of Christian background. 
Again, a great blessing. But as we watch these children of Abraham who grew up knowing about God, a lot like us really, now raging against Jesus, we've got to ask ourselves, what makes you confident uh, that you are a child of God? Is it faith in Jesus? uh, Or is it background, the done thing? Is it going to church, being generally pretty good? Fathers, uh, this is the message that your kids need to grow up hearing. Uh, I remember numerous occasions before I became a Christian uh, in my teenage years when I was misbehaving uh, or stressing out about study, relationships, what I'd do after school. Uh, My dad telling me that uh, my faith in Jesus was the most important thing I could ever decide about. Uh, And at the time I thought it was quite random. It didn't really help my situation a lot. Um, I probably didn't react the best way. Uh, But looking back, I'm thankful that Dad kept pressing on and putting it out there. Because according to Jesus, true freedom is only found in facing the reality that we are inwardly enslaved and need him. Because we all struggle with the same reality uh, as these children of Abraham. Uh, We all still sin. Uh, Let's be real about that. I'm sure each of us can think of at least one area in our life where we're holding out on God? Uh, I know I can. The question is, uh, will we cover it up and pretend that everything's fine on the basis of something flimsy like, I turn up to church, I'm a pretty good person, uh, or will we admit that we need setting free? Because that is exactly what Jesus is offering to do. Who are you really? Uh, It's a confronting question. Jesus sees through all our flimsy answers But this is why we need to ask our next question. Who is Jesus really? Uh, It's a question that gets asked twice in this chapter. Verse 25, who are you? Verse 53, a bit more extreme, who do you think you are? And Jesus' answer just about gets him killed. Have a look with me, uh, just over the page at verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Now how can those two little words, I am, have earned such a violent response? Uh, In your years gone by, people have suggested that maybe Jesus didn't get to finish his sentence and they just started trying to kill him before he could finish what he was going to say. But Jesus was being very deliberate here. And to help us better understand the gravity of those two little words, uh, let's have a look at these words of God from Isaiah 43 up on the screen. Yes? Yeah, great. Uh, This is written about 700 years before Jesus. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there ever be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord. And apart from me there is no saviour. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I am not some foreign God among you. 
You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. The people Jesus was speaking to would have known these words well and many other verses like them in the Old Testament. They might have picked Jesus saying it up a few times earlier in chapter 8, I am he, I am he. Uh, But there's no mistake there at the end of how he's describing himself. I am God standing right in front of you, says Jesus. And these two little words seal Jesus' fate. From now on, the religious authorities are absolutely determined to have him crucified because this is blasphemy. You can't just say that. Who can call themselves God but God himself? Of course, it's blasphemy assuming that the person is lying, uh, which is what this crowd assumes. Ironically, it makes him a son of the devil uh, in the eyes of this crowd because they've decided he's lying. But could he be telling the truth? He's saying, not only am I before Abraham, I am the God of Abraham, the God who reveals and saves and proclaims the God who provides witnesses for himself, like Jesus talked about early in chapter 8, the God who deals with those who have eyes but are blind, which is a pretty accurate description of Jesus' opponents here. Now, Jesus isn't claiming to be the Father. Uh, He clearly identifies himself as the Son, but he does claim to be God, equally God with the Father, completely on the same page, like Father, like Son. Verse 38, I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence. Verse 42, I've not come on my own, God sent me. Verse 49, I honour my Father. And then verse 58, I am. If this is true, uh, then it gives awesome weight uh, to what he said in verse 35, talking about slavery. Verse 35 Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. No teacher or coach or parent can solve the problem of slavery that we all face because uh, we all live lives with sin. Uh, No one has ever lived forever. None of us is God. You know, it would be like a year five student telling his classmates, guys, it's home time, let's go. Uh, Of course, you can't do that. Only the teacher can say it's the end of the day. Only Jesus, God the Son, can set us free. Free from sin and all its consequences. Free even from death. Because he is God. If this sounds like a big claim that's hard to wrap your head around, uh, then you are hearing Jesus correctly. No wonder he got such a response. Could he be telling the truth? Would a liar willingly make himself so unpopular, ultimately leading to his death for the sake of claiming to be God? If Jesus really is God, then we really can hope for freedom. Now, if this is who Jesus the Son is, what does this tell us about God the Father? It's worth thinking about. Imagine how God the Father must feel. Humanity slammed the door in his face. We've listened to lies off on our own on our quest for freedom. How would any father feel about that? How would he feel seeing these very religious people turning up on his doorstep, in his temple, enjoying the festival in his name and acting as if everything is fine? 
So what does he do as the father? He sends his son, Jesus, to plead with them. Let me set you free. He's urging them. Let me save you from the manipulative lies of the devil. He sends him knowing that it will cost him dearly. This is the unrelenting, long-suffering love of God the Father. You know, he doesn't seek out revenge or freeze us out like we might do to each other. He covers the cost. He loses face, whatever's needed, for his estranged children to come home. This is God the Father. So how will you respond to his love for you? Uh, We know how the crowd responds. Uh, They try to kill Jesus. They pick up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So what do we make uh, of this fiery conversation? Uh, Is it a failed mission? Has Jesus failed to convince them? Well, John's already told us what it means, actually, um, way back in chapter 1. Uh, let me read a couple of verses for us. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Isn't that exactly what we see happening here in John 8? He comes to his own, to God's people Israel to God's temple, and they do not receive him. And yet, even as they hold the stones in their hands, he still holds out that offer. Believe and become children of God. For them and for us, he asks for this simple but life-changing response of genuine faith. At least three times. Uh, So verse 31, Hold to my teaching, and then you will be free. You'd have to trust him to do that. Or verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me. So it's not just surface level assent, but deep trust, love me. And then verse 51, very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. And that last one's a bit interesting, isn't it? Um, How can Jesus talk about freedom and obedience as if they're the same thing? Kind of seems a bit strange. Um, Jesus sees through our masks, though. We might say that we're free and better off not obeying anyone, um, but there's no such thing. Could it be that obedience isn't the opposite of freedom? Could it be that the real threat to freedom is who we obey? The father of lies and death or the father of love and eternal life? Let's be real. By default, we're all slaves to sin Uh, We can't live up to our own standards, let alone God's. But thank God, what he's talking about here is not getting your life together. It's about how you respond to Jesus. And the promise is that whoever believes in him is restored back to the Father. Fully forgiven, no matter what you've done. With the full rights of a child of God. And that's the thing about Father Abraham that maybe these guys forgot. You know, there was nothing really great about Abraham in and of himself. He was an estranged child too, a pagan wanderer. What made him great in God's sight was that he had faith in God's promises. He believed. You know, Abraham was getting on in years. He had no children. But God promised him that through his offspring, uh, he would bring blessing to the whole world. 
Now surely in and of himself, Abraham must have known he was powerless uh, to make that happen. But Genesis 15 verse 6 tells us that Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. God has always been looking for this response of faith, of belief in his promises. Then and now it involves admitting that we don't have what's needed in and of ourselves. Jesus, who is both before Abraham and from his family tree, makes good on that promise. The death that is now impending for Jesus will pay for the sins of the world. He now offers a place in God's family to all people. Abraham welcomed him from afar. Uh, We can obey his words and trust him now. That's why Christians today can sing that song, Father Abraham, uh, with great gusto and actions and mean it. You know, today for many fathers, uh, all they will want uh, is for their kids to come home, you know, who would do anything to cover up the fights, the slammed doors that have been there in the past. This is exactly what God wants from each of us. Can you hear Jesus pleading with you if you haven't put your trust in him yet? Come home. We don't know what the end of the story was uh, for all those people there that day. It seems pretty bleak, but perhaps some did listen to him eventually. You know, it's tempting to speculate, uh, but there's not much we can really do about that. What we can do something about is our response to Jesus, which is confronting because it means admitting that we're not already free. But Jesus already knows that. Rest assured, no matter what you've been doing in your quest for freedom, who the sun sets free is free indeed. For those of us who are trusting in Jesus, uh, let's pray that this will be our anchor through all the ups and downs of life. We are loved children of God. There's great security in that. Uh, And let's think about what it means to be like father, like son, like father, like daughter. Given how the father has treated us, uh, how should we respond when we are mistreated? Oh, dads, how can you respond in a godly way when your kids don't give you the respect that they should? Uh, For all of us, what does it look like at home or work or wherever to live more like Jesus, the Son, so that we might be able to show who our Father is to the world? Uh, We won't always get it right, uh, but the bonds of family are strong. There's great security being a child of God. Uh, And let's not forget where we'd be without Jesus. Uh, We've been reminded of that this morning because the world will always tell us to put our confidence in other things. You know, we hear lies every day, that we are young and free, uh, that the next purchase will give us the freedom that we really need, Uh, that freedom equals not being under anyone's authority, that being nice is good enough, that religion will make you right with God. Let's remember that only Jesus, the Son, can set us free. And if you trust and obey him, you are free indeed. What great news for Father's Day. Anyone who comes to Jesus uh, in faith is a child of the Father. For some of us, we might be able to spend time uh, today thanking God for the way our fathers have pointed us to him. Uh, For many of us, Father's Day can be a painful reminder of our own inadequacies, either as a dad or a child. Let's remember that God, our Father, sees us as we really are already, inadequate and sinful and loved us enough to send his son to bring us back home. 
That means that we can own our failings rather than covering them up and to turn to God for forgiveness. Uh, For others, today might be a difficult reminder of fathers who have caused us pain. We might be reminded of the baggage that we carry around from our dads. In the midst of that pain, remember uh, that God's sure promises to you aren't based on your pedigree, whether it's good or bad. You belong to him because he loves you, baggage and all, and sent his son to bring you freedom at great cost. To whoever receives Jesus, he gives the right to become children of God, not born of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So who are you really? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we admit that we need Jesus to set us free from the chains of sin and death. We admit that we so easily put our confidence in other things to give us life and freedom. Please forgive us. Thank you for sending your son to show us the reality. Thank you that in the face of opposition and rejection, he held out that offer to come home and be saved and ultimately died to make it possible for us to do that. Help each of us to receive Jesus, to trust him, to obey him and love him. Today, with all the emotions that Father's Day can bring, we thank you so much for the love that you, our Heavenly Father, have lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. May this be the reality that defines and shapes and sustains us through all of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.